to The Chronicles by The Roracle, a true crime podcast. I'd like to thank everyone for listening today, and as always, if you prefer to read today's case, head on over to thecertifiedroracle.com, where you'll find photos, source information, and disclaimers for today's episode. Let's get started with Chronicle number 20, the Teresa Ann Woods case. The year was 1986. Fresh chicken, fresh fruits and veggies, and yogurts were favorites of moms everywhere, while bulky sweaters, long wool coats, and slouch socks were a hit with the teens. Watching the Cosby Show cheers of the Golden Girls on a weekday night with the folks after dinner, before heading to do a little homework while listening to some True Colors by Cindy Lauper. Heading off to sleep to dream about the weekend where you'll be hanging out with your friends watching Short Circuit or The Labyrinth, having a ball and making memories that will last a lifetime. That would never happen for one bright-eyed teen. She would vanish one day just a mile from her destination. Teresa Ann Woods was born on April 6, 1972 in Montgomery, West Virginia to parents Betty and Donald Woods. Her parents were divorced when Teresa was quite little. Her dad, Donald, would live in Palton, West Virginia, where he owned and operated a grocery store. Her mother would marry a man named Rick Holcomb. They would reside in Palton until 1985 when they moved to Oak Hills, West Virginia, as it was closer to the ambulance service Rick and Betty worked for. They would end up renting a trailer from their boss and living next door. This seemed to work out perfectly for Teresa, as she was a shy 13-year-old who did not make friends easily. The Skaggs, Robert and Billy, were the landlords and boss of Betty and Rick, and they also had a daughter who was a little bit older than Teresa. That did not matter. Angel said when they met, it was like they knew each other forever. The two formed a fast friendship. Teresa loved to play the saxophone and was an honor student at Collins Middle School, where she was now an eighth grader. Teresa was a very quiet young lady who never caused trouble and, for the most part, kept to herself. Angel would tell the media if she was not at her dad's or some other family members, on the weekends she would be at their home located next door. Angel said that Teresa liked being at the Skaggs' home and she would only go home to shower and sleep. Angel said that if something was going on at Teresa's house, She wouldn't have told her as she was too private of a person. February 20th would start out like any other day for Teresa. She would get up and walk to school with her friend Angel, and usually they would meet up on Jones Avenue and walk to the Main Street office where Betty and Rick worked. This day was a little different. Angel's little brother had not gone to school, and Billy, Angel's mom, did not want him falling behind in his studies, and asked that Angel bring his books home with her. This would cause Angel to detour from their usual meeting spot on Jones Avenue at the 7-Eleven. Angel would head home first to drop off the heavy load of books and then proceed to go to the Main Street office where she assumed her best friend would be waiting for her. She waited and waited and Teresa never showed up. Collins Middle School was located six blocks west of Main Street, just under a mile to the office where her mother and stepdad worked. Teresa would vanish in broad daylight. The last known sighting of Teresa was at 3 p.m. standing outside of the 7-Eleven leaning on a pole. This door was directly across the way from a post office and an IGA store. This was a usual meeting place for teens to hang out after school. 
That day, Teresa was wearing blue jeans, a lavender blouse, gray suede boots with fur lining, a blue jean jacket, and was carrying a medium-sized pocketbook with a strap. It is possible she was wearing earrings and a necklace as well. Teresa was five foot three and weighed between 90 and 95 pounds. She had red hair and blue eyes. It was not uncommon for Teresa to go to the IGA across the street and meet her boyfriend who was a worker there. However, on this day, her boyfriend said Teresa had not stopped in like she usually did. When Teresa failed to show up to the Main Street office, Betty and Rick knew something was terribly wrong. Betty would notify police right away. Betty would also call Donald, the biological father of Teresa. He would close his grocery store and head to Oak Hills from Palton, about a 35-minute drive to help search for his daughter. Police at first would say they believe she had run away, something that is thought of in far too many of these cases. Betty and Rick would tell police Teresa took none of her personal belongings and a check with the school would prove Teresa and Angel had been in attendance all day. The runaway theory would quickly be squashed, as now they were sure Teresa had been abducted. Police believed she had left the 7-Eleven and began to walk towards the office on Main Street. They believed that when she turned the corner, someone was waiting in a vehicle for her. As witness state, they possibly saw Teresa get into a blue vehicle. However, this has never been confirmed. Police believe Teresa knew the person who abducted her, as she was too shy of a teen to get into a vehicle with a stranger. Now the question is, who took her and why? Donald would tell police and the media that in the weeks leading up to Teresa's disappearance, she was upset about something, but would not tell him exactly what. That last weekend that Teresa was at his home, she was crying and did not want to go back to Oak Hill. Betty would also say that in the weeks leading up to her vanishing, Teresa had appeared something was bothering her. Teresa told her mother she wanted to go back to her old school. Betty told her daughter to finish out the 8th grade and then they would talk about her attending her old school next year. Teresa never told Donald or Betty why she wanted to go back to her old school. Both parents would assume their daughter was just homesick and missed her old friends. As the days and nights passed, so would Teresa's 14th birthday that she had been looking forward to as she was going to be receiving a brand new color television set. This was a big deal back in 1986. Then on June 5, 1986, Laurel Creek resident John and Gerald were out walking the creek fishing for minnows to use as bait when John's foot hit something. He looked down to see a human skull in the shallow water at the edge of the creek bed. He and Gerald immediately phoned the police. Police arrived and quickly secured the scene. They began searching around the area where the skull was found. The police would find more human bones scattered about. They would also find torn bits of clothing, an earring, and a necklace. The police would then find something that would make their hearts sink, several strands of red hair. They knew then this was the remains of Teresa. The police would knock on the door of Betty and Rick, the dreaded knock they had never wanted to hear. Police would tell them of the remains, and they were confident the medical examiner would provide a positive ID of Teresa, which he did. Betty then would have to make a call to Donald and tell him his little girl was no longer alive, something that would be the second hardest thing she had to deal with. <music> Teresa's remains were found nine miles away from where she was last seen. Police wanted to know how she got there and who had placed her body there. The police thought as though Teresa was placed there on purpose by someone who knew the area. 
as her remains were found only a quarter mile off Laurel Creek Road. The medical examiner would rule her death a homicide, but would not release a cause of death for the public. Note, it is not known if her family knows the cause of death. Due to the clothing fragments found, the medical examiner and law enforcement feel Teresa was likely killed on around February 20th when she was last seen. There were only two direct routes to where Teresa's remains were found. There were no shortcuts or intersecting roads that one could take. Police are interested in talking to anyone that may have seen something on February 20th, 1986. Nothing is too small. It could have been an out-of-place vehicle or someone acting anxious that day. Police say they had a suspect shortly after the remains were found, and they were in the process of questioning this person. Police have never said anything more on this. The police also said in a news conference they found a very important clue at the Laurel Creek location, and that the medical examiner's autopsy yielded a clue, but they would not elaborate on the evidence. Donald would pass away in 2014 without ever knowing what happened to his daughter. As of 2021, police have reopened Teresa's case. Her mother and friends are still awaiting justice for Teresa. What happened to this shy honor student who was just a few months away from her 14th birthday? Let's help get justice for Teresa. If you have any information on this case, please call the Oak Hill Police Department at 304-465-0596. Once again, that's the Oak Hill Police Department at 304-465-0596. As always, thank you for listening, and this is the Oracle. Signing off.